Hello and welcome to the Events Podcast, where we talk each week with event professionals about how they plan, promote and run their events. Whether you're running small meetups or large conferences, exhibitions and concerts, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. This podcast is sponsored by our ticketing system, EventsFrame, which I'm one of the co-founders of. And we developed this system after running 300 plus events with my company, Apps Events. And we had an endless search for an amazing and cost-effective ticketing and attendee management system. We've tried everything and we designed EventsFrame to be super easy to use with the best discounting options out there. You can embed tickets in your own website or use a simple and elegant site builder. Most systems don't publish their pricing and they try to negotiate with you and it usually ends up you're going to pay 3% plus to use a system but we just have a flat, low and publicly available fee and we have no ticket fees and no restrictions. We've got hundreds of live events using our system so please give it a go. Head on over to eventsframe.com and if you email me at dan at eventsframe.com that's D-A-N with the subject line podcast I'm going to give you a special discount code. So on to today's interview, I was delighted to talk to Catalina Alvarez from Dynamite Circle, and she runs two huge conferences for location-independent entrepreneurs in Austin, Texas, and Bangkok, Thailand. Now, the one in Bangkok I've been going to for over six years. It's one of the few events I pay myself to go every year, and it's a really cool event. They, They do something great with the atmosphere. They always have good speakers, good meetups, good social events. And Catalina is the person behind that, dealing with all the logistics of, of the conference. So it was great to get an insight from her about how they organize the event, how they plan a year out, how they start selling tickets directly after the event finishes one year for the, for the next year's event, how she deals with the hotel, how she deals with the speakers, how she has a team of volunteers helping run the event. So there's a lot of like real down and dirty, actionable tips on how to run a conference for anyone who's interested in doing it. So I hope everyone has a great weekend, and here is the interview with Catalina. Hello, and welcome to the Events Podcast. Uh, today, I'm delighted to be talking to Catalina Alvarez from the Dynamite Circle, and she runs, amongst other things, an event called DCBKK, which is a conference I was just at. I'm just back from just over a week ago in Bangkok, and uh, it's something I've been going to for years, uh, and I really love it. So it's great to talk to the person who's helping put the conference on. So hi, Catalina. How are you doing? Good. Excited for, for my podcast interview. Um, DCBKK is a great event. So yeah, happy to talk about it. Fantastic. We've, we had some audio issues and we've, we keep trying, but it <laughs> seems like we've got over them. So you've, yes. you're coming through loud and clear, which is just fantastic. Perfect. Cool. So Catalina, um, I'd love to get a little bit into your background because it's you know, we, we met at a, the speaker's uh, party at, in Bangkok yeah. on a very nice rooftop terrace uh, bar. You were telling me about how you went to China when you were 18. So I'd love just to dig into a mm-hmm. bit of that story. Because I know you lived in America, then China. And, and yeah. it's quite interesting to people, you know, because it's always fascinating, especially people who grow up when they're young. So I'm curious how that all came about. Yeah, well, I was born in Spain, uh, but we moved to Miami when I was pretty young. I grew up speaking English and Spanish. Spanish is actually my first language, but I'm pretty fluent in both. And I was back in Spain when I was seven years old. And at 18, I decided I didn't want to go to college. I didn't know what I wanted to study wasn't ready to commit to anything for four years. 
And my parents were surprisingly understanding. My dad's an entrepreneur, so he wasn't pushing me to go to college. Instead, he told me, hey, why don't you come work with me in China? He had a business there. So I did. He paid for my Mandarin lessons. I studied Chinese for four years, and I worked with him for about three months until I found a a job teaching English, which I really enjoyed. I met my husband there, who's in the D.C., And I went with him to a a DC event in Barcelona. I went to record his talk he was presenting. And that's where I met the founders of the DC, Dan and Ian. And uh, shortly after that, I found out they were hiring. I applied for this part-time customer service position. And yeah, long story short, now I'm the event planner and member services coordinator. Cool. Well, I just want to just slow down a little bit and just jump into the, the China stuff. That's, that's really interesting. So, so like, was your yeah. dad living in China at the time? How, uh, how did that come about? So he had an apartment and he would go five, six times a year. He didn't live there full time. He, he right. was in Spain. But yeah, anytime they had a big project or a big order or anything, he would spend uh, between a week and a month in China. So he was there a lot. I, I got to hang out with him a lot. But yeah, at, at times I was there by myself. I got my own apartment and I had friends and then I got my own job. This were is you, pretty cool. Were you living in, in Beijing or whereabouts were you? I was in Shenzhen, just across the border from Hong Kong. So I got to go to Hong Kong every other weekend. It was really nice. I was I spent New Year's Eve once in Hong Kong. It was really fun. It's funny. I was uh, just yeah. chatting to Mike Michelini last week, uh, who yeah. was in Shenzhen. I'm sure, and you know Mike, I'm sure. And, um, yeah, we met in, in Shenzhen. Uh, I've known him for a couple of years. Yeah, it's funny because like, I think it's, it seems like it's getting a lot more like for expats and foreigners, like it used to be that they only wanted to get to Hong Kong, but now there's kind of a lot more going on in, in Shenzhen because you yeah. know, I remember going to Hong Kong years ago and it was always people from Shenzhen just desperate to come there to get some Hong Kong <laughs> time, you know? Yeah. Now uh, Shenzhen has changed a lot. The the high speeds, the, the train, the subway gets you anywhere in, in minutes and it's, it's, yeah, it's changed a lot. So I got there in 2011, I think. My husband actually lived there for 13 years before there was a subway, before there was a high-speed train that would take you to the other cities. So, uh, yeah, he's definitely seen some changes. Definitely. How often would you go to Hong Kong now? Would you go every weekend or would you normally stick uh, around in Shenzhen? Yeah, I'd go maybe. So I, I'd like the shopping. And if I ever had to fly back to Spain or, or fly to Thailand or Philippines, I would go through Hong Kong. Uh, I had friends there too. My dad loved to go to Hong Kong, the restaurants and, and all that. So I'd say once or twice a month for sure. Cool. Um, and what, um, so what did you do? What was your job that you were translating? Is that right? Yes. Uh, so my dad, he had a company in Spain and uh, another branch in China. So basically he's doing manufacturing for, for different brands here. So the projects would come in in Spanish. I would translate that to English and pass that on to his Chinese employees. They would go to the factories. Uh, so yeah, it was kind of that link between the Spanish side and the Chinese side. How good did your Chinese get in the end? Uh, it was pretty good. I, I studied a lot. I, I did one or two hour lessons every day. Uh, I was kind of immersed, spent, yeah, four years just really studying and speaking whenever I, I was out and about. I really made an effort to practice. I, my Mandarin is fluent. If it's just standard conversation, I don't have business vocabulary, but, but yeah, I can have a conversation with uh, pretty much anyone. But isn't that tough? Because I know in, in, that, in that province generally, it's, it's mainly Cantonese, isn't it? People are speaking. So I guess you were learning Mandarin in a, in a Cantonese-speaking um, place. Was, it, was that kind of yeah. tough? Yeah. 
Well, Shenzhen, so Shenzhen has become kind of like Hong Kong. So people would come to Shenzhen to work from provinces all over China. Right. So most people in Shenzhen spoke Mandarin. Um, if you went to Guangzhou, which is about an hour on the high-speed train, I believe, a lot of people spoke Cantonese there. But yeah, Shenzhen was a pretty pretty much Mandarin all oh, over wow, the place. That's cool. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and cool. Mandarin so- is surprisingly easy. So the, the characters and all that, of course, it's, it's difficult. But in terms of the grammar, Mandarin is way easier than Spanish or, or English. Um, when I taught English and I'm trying to teach my husband some Spanish, I realize how much easier it is to learn Mandarin. Yeah, it's funny. I've got a good friend in Taiwan who's fluent. He's American and he, he's fluent in Mandarin and it just it never fails to impress people. I mean, he's, he, grew yeah. up, he grew up there. I mean, his parents were oh, at an cool. orphanage and so he's, 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 it was his first language, you know. Oh, so wow. he speaks it like a local, you know, and then like <laughs> it just never ceases to impress everyone around when he, when he does that. Cool, yeah, for sure. Um, cool. So, so let's fast forward a bit. Um, how did you end up working with, with the DC Dynamite Circle? And, and, um, and let, let's explain what, what it is as well. What is the Dynamite Circle? Yeah, so the DC is an online community for entrepreneurs. It used to be pretty much all location independent entrepreneurs, but more and more we have people that have legit offices with hundreds of employees. So there's a little bit of, of everything. Definitely more location-independent people, digital nomads. Uh, but yeah, it's a membership community. We have a, an online forum. And then Dan and Ian do a weekly podcast, the Tropical MBA podcast. And then we do a lot of in-person events. There's monthly meetups hosted by members. We we definitely put a lot of effort in, in facilitating in-person opportunities to, to meet. You're the, the person behind the event. What, what events do you do? I mean, essentially, I think you do two conferences and then, then you organize, you help with community events in, in between. Yeah. So we have two, our two main events right now are DC Austin in Austin, Texas and DCBKK in Bangkok, Thailand. And then we have about 10, 10 to 12 smaller events that are organized by members of our community. Um, so we help them, we, we support them with anything they need. We help them fund the events. We help them sell tickets. Uh, we're actually using events frame now for all these events. Yeah, excellent. And, uh, yeah, um, I, I specifically, I focus on the two larger events. I organized DCX Barcelona this year, just because I was in Spain and it was really easy for me to, to help Dan organize it. But yeah, I, I focus on the two larger ones and support the organizers of the, the smaller events. Cool. Well, well let's, let's talk a bit about DC Bangkok. That's fresh in your mind. You just, just ran it last month. And uh, yeah. it was a big conference. I think, was it 300, yes. 300 people just over? There were, yeah, I think it was 320 people, including staff and volunteers, sponsors, speakers. The, the whole deal was about 320, which is our largest event yet. The only thing you've got, which, which is, makes your job very easy, I guess, is that you didn't have to sell, you didn't have to like sell tickets externally. I mean, this was a closed event for the community, yep. isn't it? So you essentially start off with a captive, a captive, or you've obviously got to convince them to want to come to the event. As far as I know, it was only people in the DC who, who would buy tickets. Is that, is that right? Yeah, there might've been a, a couple of exceptions. Maybe somebody wanted to bring their business partner yeah, or yeah. their husband, wife who has a different business, but yeah. 95% members only, yeah. What were the first steps of the organizing process? Like, did you, did you have, did you start six months out, three months out, a year out? Did, did, did you have like, did you inherit like a, a process that you followed or was it all yeah. kind of pulling it together? 
Yeah, we have some processes in place. Um, we improve and make changes every year, but we, we do have our core process. To start with, we sell tickets for every event as soon as the last event finishes. So you might have noticed we we sold tickets for our 29 event the day this last event finished. We yeah, announced, that's, hey, that's a great thing to do, by the way. Any, anyone listening yeah. to this, you should always try to offer a super yeah. early bird discount right <laughs> after the event because people are kind of on a high from from the event. Yeah, you don't want to lose that momentum. People at a great conference and they know they want to come back next year. You give them the the most discounted tickets are for the past events, uh, past year's attendees um, because they're, they're buying tickets without knowing who the speakers are going to be, what the dates are going to be. They're just buying into that experience that they just had so, without any of the details. Exactly. So, so that's interesting. So, you, so you, you hadn't, at this stage, you hadn't booked the hotel for 2019. You're just basically um, like buying a ticket and it's, it's not yet confirmed. We we're pretty sure we're going to go with the same hotel. We've yeah. been, this year was the fifth year. We, we work with the same hotel. We're, 95 percent sure we'll use yeah, the same yeah. hotel next year we haven't confirmed the dates they're usually around the same dates every year but yeah we'll, we'll finalize that in the next two weeks i have the contract we'll go back and forth and negotiate sure. but yeah we'll, we'll close that pretty it's pretty interesting soon. on the venue because there's two ways to look at it like on one there's pros and cons of doing it the same place every year and moving yes. it around to different places i mean the cons of doing it in the same place every year are some people get a bit bored of going to the same place, you know? Yes, and, for and, sure. And, and the, but the pros are it's much easier from an yes. organizer. And some people, conversely, they love, they know where they're going, they, they know what to mm-hmm. do, you know? M- moving it around, like, it's always interesting and it's cool, but then it can be, it can be a log- logistically twice as hard because you're dealing with a different hotel. Yeah. Time, as know? our, as our events get larger and larger, it's just so easy to stay in the same hotel. We know they have the capacity. The service is always great. Yeah. We get all these um, terms and with payments and stuff. So one of the things that drives me crazy at these events is customs so we have packages shipped from all over the world our sponsors ship their swag items to the hotel in bangkok and they arrive as they arrive the delivery guy will will tell the reception person hey you need to pay me a thousand dollars in custom fees and they do it they they don't ask us any questions at the end of the event they're like hey here are all the things we paid for you and we settle the bill. It's really easy for us. That's, that's a that's a good bonus because you know we found dealing with anything in Asia, it's always a hustle getting swag in. You know, we even yes. try to, we, we try to order it locally as much as possible, just get it made. You know? Yeah, we run an event in Thailand actually, we just get everything made there. But if you've got a hotel that deals with it, that, that that's cool. Yeah, they're they're great. They call customs for us and deal with the different shipping agents. They're they're really good. They know we're good clients and consistency. If we were to switch to another hotel it's possible there there may be some upsides like you said people might appreciate a the the new different hotel but in the end i just feel like the the cons outweigh the pros of moving to another hotel yeah i'm yeah it's tough you know i think (laughs) a good way to do it i know a few events they have they rotate between like two or three different places so that Mm -hmm. when you get more established i know one one conference in particular they they go between Thailand, um, Malaysia, and I think it's Hong Kong for the third year. And then you just they cycle, so they have some some um, sense of of you know continuity. But I'm curious about like what. Obviously, we won't talk about numbers, but like, do you, is your because the, the problem when you're dealing with a hotel, and, and this is why I always say to people, if you're running a first 
event, especially if it's your first conference, try to get a free or cheap event because hotels are expensive, you know. I mean, you typically mm-hmm. – yes. Uh, you know, I, I have no idea what you pay, but typically around the world, you'll pay $50 per person per day, mm-hmm. give or take, you know, for, for yep. a conference venue. Like, do you, like, do you, uh, do you have something like you have to pay a, a third up front and then a third at the event and a third after, like, or is it, is it, is it like more early you have to pay some of the money for the hotel? Yeah, we pay, I think we pay about 20% when we sign the contract, which will be probably yeah. this month, next month, if we decide to go with the same hotel. Um, and then 50% at least six months before, uh, to be honest, I can't remember the, the exact terms, yeah. but we pay yeah. at least 20, 30% after the event. Um, so the last day of the event, either Sunday or the Monday, the, the day after we'll have a meeting with the hotel staff. We'll go over any last minute expenses. If, if we decided, for example, that the speaker's dinner you mentioned, we weren't going to organize the transportation. And then last minute I was like, Hey, we should do this. So I, called up the front desk guys i need three vans to take us to this restaurant so yeah they charge us at the end um yeah they're they're really easy going so anything we want to add last minute any customs fees they just cover it and we pay at the end that's cool i mean this is like i would recommend this kind of approach for anyone like like the situation you're in with dynamite circle if you're if you're established and you've you're reasonably certain you're going to get people, then it's great to do. Mm-hmm. It, it can be high. If you're doing your first conference, it's a high risk strategy to get a hotel like this because you're on the hook for X thousand dollars yeah. from day one, you know, even, even yeah, if no there's, comes. And it, there's a hard. room <laughs> block and there, there's usually a minimum per person in terms of food and beverage. There's all these things that go into it. So yeah, we, we know we always have at least 250 attendees and it's, it's usually getting bigger and bigger every year. So and, and yeah, if, we, and if you're in if you're in conferences in the U.S., especially like Vegas is the main place, it's it's crazy mm-hmm. there. They'll charge. Not only do you have the, the delegate day rate, you know, which might be fifty dollars per person, but every extra thing, you know, like you know, yes. if, you, if you it's it's unionized. So if somebody wants to plug something in, you can't just go and plug something. Yes, in, you know, union it's rep, so different. Union staff member has to come and do it, and I've just <laughs> yeah. everything I've heard about every, Vegas, I just don't want to run an event there. Well, we do our event in Austin, Texas, and, and it's great. It's a fun city, live music, barbecue, all that. But it's so different from doing these events in Bangkok. Every clicker, every adapt HDMI adapter, every power strip, any little thing they charge us extra for. And, yeah. and they itemize everything in the bill. Like, oh, you use this for one hour, so we're billing you for the yeah, hour. Yeah, yeah. All the AV costs are extra, everything. It's it's very that's, different. That's definitely the, the US. It's it's um yeah, <laughs> capitalism, you know, they want to get everything. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so, so so obviously great the hotel you book straight away. What what about the rest of it? Like the other logistics, like talking about speakers and, and getting your building up your promotion. Do you do you do that pretty much straight after? And what, what how what's your basic project plan? What what do you start doing first? Yeah, so we we just closed ticket sales, the the very early bird tickets. We we just closed those. I think they're open for about a week right after the event. You can secure your spot for next year. Most discounted price, I think it's maybe $100 off the the standard price. And we're going to open up ticket sales in, if not this week, next week for our Austin event. That's going to be in April. And then, so focusing on DCBKK, we'll open up tickets to the public probably in June, early summer. And we start recruiting sponsors and speakers very early. We, we already have some sponsors lined up for next year. A lot of our, a lot of our sponsors are 
are consistent and they just they stay with us year on year. There's always some new ones that we that we get here and there, but uh, but yeah, at least half of them are repeat sponsors. That's, so that's, that's great. definitely uh, that, that's a good sign because they're obviously getting you know a sponsor yeah. will only come back if they're getting a return yeah, on, on investment. Yeah, it's great you for know, us, and, and we, you want you we want have, long-term sponsors definitely. Yes. That's, for sure. And we have our, we had two or three people from this last event in Bangkok that said, Hey, I, I got some clients from the event just from talking to people. I think being a sponsor could get me some great exposure. So yeah, we, we have quite a few sponsors lined up for next year already, which is awesome for us. Cool. So, so, so you talked about doing the, the ticket sales, launching the early yes. bird. Do you have some speakers ready for when you launched early bird on, on the website? No. So f- neither DCBKK nor DC Austin, because they're members only events, the main drive for these events is just the opportunity to connect with other entrepreneurs in person. Yeah. The speakers don't really move the needle when it comes to ticket sales. We've had big names in the past and, and it doesn't really make a difference. So usually we don't announce the speakers until two, three months before the events. Yeah. That's great. And, and, and typically, I mean, how it works now is you seem to get the speakers from, from the dynamite circle, which obviously has got yeah. two benefits. One is it saves, it saves money because speakers can be very expensive. And, and yeah. secondly, you get, you know, people will get to hear from people doing similar things to themselves. Yeah, it's great. We have people that joined the community back in 2011, 2012, like yourself. And now they have these large businesses with 50, 100 employees. So we love hearing their stories. People love, all the other members love hearing these these real life stories and how they got there. And the, the failure stories are really popular. We've had talks with people who, who explained how they lost a million dollars in funding and, yeah. and had to go bankrupt and start from zero a totally new business. There's a, yeah, people love these real stories. Yeah. They pref- we've noticed our attendees prefer when the speakers are other members, as opposed to having these big names and paying the founder of some big company. Cause the talks aren't usually as actionable. Um, they're more inspirational. So yeah, we definitely we realize the real real talk is is what's appreciated. I think that's a, that's a trend generally. A lot of events are moving away from having keynotes because there's a lot. First of all, there's a lot more conferences out there now, you know. And mm-hmm. and I think once you've heard a few, the first time you hear like a good inspirational keynote, you're like, that's great, you know, it gets you fired up. But <laughs> when you hear a lot, you're just like, yeah, whatever, you know, like. <laughs> I didn't take any action on the last inspirational keynote. So I'd rather yeah. just get like some key, uh, key takeaways, you know, like yeah, do this step by step. task, this task. <laughs> yeah. That, that's how I see it. I mean, the events I run, I, I try to just keep it all like, what can you use on Monday? Like in your, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I run a lot of events for schools and it's all about what can you use in the classroom next week, you know, as opposed to making you feel fired up. Yeah, you know, for you, sure. You this, need a bit uh, of that. Yeah, this year we had a lot of uh, our talks were pretty actionable, a lot of step by steps and, and screencasts and sharing all the details. We usually we have four main stage speakers. They present in front of all 300 attendees. This year we tried a new format, which was instead of having four, that fourth slot was divided into into three lightning talks. So we had three about 10 minute talks. And the feedback was great. That's another thing I, I recommend. That last day of the event, people had a great time. You send them the link to buy a ticket for next year and a link to leave feedback for this last event. And that really helps us improve. We read all of that feedback. So there's some, some things we don't notice. Perhaps some, someone says this one talk wasn't good 
if five people say this one talk wasn't good, then probably wasn't. So we won't get that speaker again. So yeah, we definitely put a lot of time into reading all that feedback. Definitely. It's good to do the feedback. I think you did it well, like right after the event, you know, because mm-hmm. people remember and they're much more likely you'll get it like twice as many people fill it in. Even if you spend yeah. like a day later, it, it drops off a cliff in terms of how many people fill, fill in the form. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, we got We get some pretty good response, a good rate of, um, uh, attendee. Yeah. Of from 300 attendees, I think we get between 100 to 150 to leave feedback, which is really good. Really yeah, good. so we, we asked for feedback on the party venues, on the talks, the masterminds, on everything. And uh, yeah, it helps us know what topics, what speakers are more appreciated, what types of venues people like for the parties. Do they prefer rooftops because they get cool views? Or do they prefer air-conditioned bars because they're not sweaty? <laughs> so. Yeah. It's uh, Yeah, it's great to review all that. Definitely. So, so let, let's jump back into the process. You talked about, mm-hmm. so you, you released the tickets before yep. y- you even had the speakers because it's more of a community oh, yeah. event. What, what were like the next steps yeah. in your sort of year-long planning process? So we'll open up tickets to the whole community. There's a little over 1,000, between 1,000 and 1,500 members in the D.C., I believe. And we'll open up tickets to all of them in the summer around June. And we'll be working on getting speakers from now until next October. Some speakers we get three weeks before the event. Of course, there's always cancellations. It's not great, but we can't help it. We There's between, so there's 50 meetup hosts. These are topic-based meetups. And then there's another 12 workshop speakers and another four main stage speakers so yeah there's that, that's more interesting because what, what, what you do um is the week before the event you have a bunch of uh, meetups which i think originally they were just self-organized in different bars and, and restaurants and then the dc kind of took over some control and now they're they're in the hotel i think aren't they Yeah, they used to be just casual members took it upon themselves to say hey i want to talk about SaaS in this cafe, come join me. Or I want to talk about Bitcoin at this bar, come meet me here. And we, they became bigger and more popular and people came to Bangkok earlier to attend these casual meetups. And last year was the first time we made them official. We reserved the space at the hotel for these meetups. And this year they were even more popular. So we got larger rooms instead of 25 people per room there was between 50 and 100 so that's a that's another thing although we have the same we've had the same hotel for 5 years the actual conference space changes cuz our as our event gets bigger we use different areas of the hotel couldn't make the week before this year but mm-hmm. i think that's a big part of the event and the fact that you have all these events going on like talks going on all the week before it kind of makes it a week long conference really doesn't it yeah, it starts on Wednesday. Um, there's casual parties and meetups on Tuesday and ends on Sunday. So yeah, it's pretty much the whole week. What, in terms of it, you talked about the speakers quite often drop out, like, because that's something that drives me crazy. Like, do, do, yeah. do you still, do you get people like the week before dropping out and stuff like that with kind of vaguely yeah. dodgy excuses? Not, not, usually not the week before this year we had, I mean, we had people not speakers, but uh, the meetup hosts. We had some people drop out the day before because they missed their flight. Um, yes. I think out of the 52 people had to drop out both because they, they missed their flights or they had to change their flights. 
but we were able, I was able to, to find other people to cover the same topics instead of having to cancel them or replace them with something Correct. else That's last minute. So yeah, we had one of them was an e-commerce meetup for e-commerce business owners to, to just have a discussion. I found another guy, Hey, since you also have an e-commerce business, you were planning on attending this meetup. Why don't you moderate the conversation? He was happy to do it. And the other one was a language learning meetup and same thing. I followed up with one of the person who had RSVP to attend. And I, I asked her if she would be willing to to host it and she did an amazing job. So yeah, it's pretty cool that all the, it's a member and a members event. So we know, we know all the attendees are, they're in the community. We know who's RSVPing to what. And if there's any last minute cancellations, we're usually able to, to find someone else, uh, someone else to take over That's and cool. for speakers. Yeah. For speakers, we had a, I think a cancellation about three weeks before the event. And yeah, we just followed up with a couple of attendees that had interesting stories and interesting businesses. And we found the the last minute speakers from attendees. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah. so you, you're doing all the, all the, the standard things, you know, you're dealing with the hotel, the speakers, mm-hmm. the sponsors and the attendees. Is this yep. like, is this all you? Like, I know you have a team running the event, which we'll get onto in a minute, but, uh, in, in the sort of pre-event phase, is, is it just you or do you have anyone else helping with the logistics? Oh yeah, we, I have help. I do, I do a lot of it. Um, but the speaker recruiting is not really me. It's my colleague, Jessica, and we have a, another person on the team and Dan and Ian, everybody kind of helps with speakers. I focus on attendee communications, venues, sponsors, any, all the hotel logistics, the, the speakers are not really on, on my plate. Yeah. It's interesting because people have I think if they've never run a conference before, they've, they've got to be ready that there's a lot of backwards and forwards communication with the attendees. Like, the, you know, yes. like it's, it's, it's huge. Like they're always, yeah. every, every day you're going to have multiple messages for, for, for months before the event. And I think a lot of people aren't quite ready for that. If they run an event, like as a part-time thing, they don't realize it's going to, it's going to be daily communication. Someone has to handle that because they've all got questions. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes good questions, sometimes ridiculous ones, but you've got to speak to, you've got to answer every question, you know? You do. And, and that's a really big part of the event. I mean, the finding the venues for 300 people is, is hard enough, but then the amount of emails I get every day leading up to, and during the conference, people asking me what visa they should get in Thailand. It's like, can you just Google it? Yeah, do, you, exactly. do you really, do I have to do this? Um, I, I always but yeah. find setting up a good FAQ page as well. I mean, although <laughs> a lot of people still won't read it, even if you do it, but you know, it just yeah. having that, just try, you try to solve it, but you're going to get the same questions. We do get a lot of the same questions, but it's fine. I mean, I'll go back to the last email I sent, copy the reply and, and just change it a little bit. I try to reuse a lot of the same answers for these very similar questions. Sure. And the one thing we tried out this year was having an event app and that was game changer. That was great because sometimes you send these, we send a daily email with kind of the rundown of each day's schedule, but a lot of people don't see it or it goes into their spam or they just forget, or they have a million emails and then it gets lost in there. So oh, having this was app, attendify app, wasn't it? Was that, yeah, wasn't it was attendify. Is, is, is that a paid app or is it free? Yes, it was. We had a we tried guidebook earlier this year for the Austin event, and then we we switched to attendify. They're both paid apps. Attendify had some more features, had some different things. We loved it, and we received great feedback from attendees. They found it really helpful to have the 
schedule, everything just on their smartphone. You could open up each day's schedule. You could add specific sessions to your favorites. So then you could open up your favorites and just focus on all the things you want to attend without having to sift through the whole schedule. So yeah, it was was great. We'll be using that moving forward. Definitely. So let's move along towards the event. Like, like when do you get there? And also like who, who, like who, who is in the team? Like, do you, do you have kind of like a, a, an organizer's room and and who's there? Obviously there's yourself and Jessica, but I know you have a bunch of volunteers, which you recruit for the event as well. Yes. So we have, I would say half, about half of our volunteers are members of the community. Um, we have a lot of repeat volunteers. One of the, the woman, um, this person helping us is this woman, it was her seventh event volunteering. So she's done more events than me. She's great. Great. Uh, And and the the volunteers, you you give them a free, a free place to the event. Is that right? Yeah. So they basically, they get a free ticket in exchange for helping out. So there's times where they have to be at the registration table or they have to cut up the name tags of our attendees or, or prepare the gift bags. But we, we make sure they get to attend at least two, three talks every day. Some of them get to participate in a mastermind. Um, so yeah, they love it. We have a lot of repeat volunteers, so that's they're great. happy. Do, do you give happy. each person a specific task? That, that's something I generally do with, with volunteers on the team, you know, give everyone a, a specific task with, and with some backup as well in case they you know can't make it or whatever. Mm, well, there's a lot of overlap. So we're, right. because, because we want them to attend some of the talks they're interested in, we before the event, so the the day before, two days before, we all sit down together in this meeting room. We go over the event schedule. We assign people to specific talks. Um, so if they want to attend this talk about software, then they're the person who's going to help that speaker, make sure they have the clicker, microphone, Got adapter it. all set up, and then they just get to attend like any other person. So yeah, Definitely. we kind of. We, we take, we arrange shifts and go over the whole schedule. I wouldn't say each person has a specific task. It's more about shifts and everyone does a little bit of everything. That's cool. Cause I mean, I guess the four main areas I found with volunteers are obviously registration desk. And, and also yes. if, you are, if you're hosting inquiries there, that's really key, especially like at the start of the mm-hmm. event, that's key yep. to be overstaffed there and be there early. I guess the second thing is dealing with speakers. You always got to have someone yeah. on the stage ready. I mean, obviously, if you're in a hotel, you've, you've got a hotel person, but someone ready mm-hmm. just to liaise with the hotel, make sure there's yeah. microphones and clickers and the presentations yeah. are loaded. If there's the any two, tech issue, if, if the, the slides stop working because yeah. the HDMI cable's having some trouble, we have people there to run to the hotel staff so they can come fix it ASAP. There weren't too many tech issues this year, thankfully, so Definitely. that was easy. And then the other two, I guess, are that I found, you tell me if you've got more. The other one, uh, catering, dealing with making sure the coffee and tea is coming on time, the lunch is, is ready. And, and related to that, the, the networking part is like getting to the venue early, double checking it, the space is ready, you know, yes. calling them out. They're kind of a, the, the things I really want to always have volunteers on. Yeah, we actually have our MC, the event MC was the, the MC comedian and he was in charge of the parties. So I found, he helped me find the party venues and I kind of closed the deals, negotiated. And then he was in charge of getting there early. He visited all the venues before the, the event. Some of them actually this year, none of the venues were repeat venues from last year. There's a funny thing with Bangkok is there's a lot of churn because there's so many bars and restaurants. They 
churn and they sell new management, remodel every other year. So yeah. we went back to contact some of the venues from last year. Half of them are closed under renovations, new management. Yeah. So it's it's tough. That's a that's a thing we would like to reuse some venues. And most of the times we, we can't because they just change them up. Sure. So, Although it is cool to have new venues as well, you know. So it probably, yeah. probably didn't help, didn't hurt you, but I get it's, it's definitely more work. I'm sure. Yeah, it's we 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 got pretty lucky with venues this year. They were all new. Uh, I had only seen one of them that I'd visit last year. So Adam got there about a week before the event, went to see everything, discussed the layout because they're such large groups. We want open space. We don't want booths or tables and chairs. We just want as much open space as possible. Sure. When And that's very important to get across to these event managers, these restaurant managers. Because when you tell them, hey, it's a party for 300 people, first thing they think is, okay, seating for 300 people. And that's the opposite of what we want. We want very, just high tables, a few high chairs. So people can mingle and just everyone can talk to each other. So yeah, Adam took care of all that. He went to all of them and discussed everything. And then he was the first person to arrive at all the parties and greet the guests. Most of the parties were sponsored this year. So as people arrived, he would greet them and give them a, a drink ticket for a free drink or, or explain where the free buffet was or where how the, the open bar works. So yeah, he did a great job. He was very helpful. Yeah, no, no, that's 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 an interesting thing to say. So, you ha- you had an MC this year. So you had mm-hmm. one person who was, like you say, he was organizing the parties, but he was also on stage every time. He was kind of yeah. running the stage, you know, introducing people, yeah. um, managing the transitions. Is that something mm-hmm. you've done before? Or was that the first time you did that? It was the first time we did that, and same thing. It was based on attendee feedback. So. The past couple events, people said, uh, Dan and Ian, they're just, you can tell they're not excited to get on stage. They've been doing it for years. And, yep. <laughs> and yes, yeah, so people wanted an MC. They were happy to, to take on an MC. And Adam filled in the shoes. He did a great job. So, yeah, we'll be, he'll be our MC from now on. Yeah, that's a great, uh, something I've never actually done is have, I mean, we've, we've had, MCs for the opening and closing sessions, but you know, usually mm-hmm. they've been presenting in between, so we haven't had an mm-hmm. overall person. But I think for a bigger event, it's great just to have so you know someone's got control of that. You're not always stressing, and yeah. the speaker's ready because someone's dealing with it. They, they're up there getting ready to introduce them, and yeah, and he's he he's comfortable. So he's a stand-up comedian, so he's comfortable on stage on the microphone. Dan and Ian, they happen to be the founders of this community. But neither of them are excited to get on that stage in front of 300 people. They they don't do that on the regular. They they have to do it twice a year. Sure. So, although, yeah. although they both have done really good sessions, you know, they they, they do, but they're not they're not natural presenters. But they have done really yeah. good sessions as well. You know. Yeah, Dan's presented at some events. Uh, he's pretty good, and uh, Ian's is, Ian's a little more quiet, a little more, uh, yeah, shy, yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better word. Yeah. Look. I think that's pretty much everything. We've we've really covered a lot about your process. So that was really interesting for me, Kathleen. So I'd like to thank you for your time. It was it was great to get an overview of how you uh, coordinate this event for 300 plus people. In well, two events. We haven't even really talked about Austin, but I yeah, imagine it's I mean, pretty it's, similar. It's, it starts now, and we'll be working on it from now until next October. It's kind of a year long process from when we sell tickets the day the event ends, and we're working on speaker sponsors all the way up until a week before the event. So, yeah. Cool. It's, Thank uh, you very it's, much, it's Kathleen. Great to chat. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. 
Do you want to sell more tickets to your amazing events? EventsFrame event ticketing has been built to minimize the amount of time it takes to buy a ticket. Result? You sell more tickets. Check out eventsframe.com 